good to be here. Um, I've had a heck of a week. Has anyone else had a heck of a week? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it seems like that last weekend of October is a doozy every year in my life. <laughs> but everyone can relate to that, maybe a little, a little, yeah. Amen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, on Tuesday, I'm not sure if everyone knows, but uh, I have the opportunity to go down to our uh, chapter in Cincinnati with Sarah, Danny, and Gabby. And uh, there's a funny story you can ask me later, but a couple of things that we do is uh, get to know the, the guys and the girls down there. Uh, we supervise the households, and uh, once a month we get a, a special time to do similar things to this, uh, have a formation time with them. And that's exciting. Um, because uh, this particular time was particularly exciting, I think, because John Stevenson was able to give them a talk on time management as well. They're on uh, a similar path to, to the path that we're on. And uh, gosh, so John got up there with confidence, as he normally does, and, and starts giving the talk, and he begins by saying, this is not self-help. This is not a way to better prioritize uh, your life. This is not a way to use your time more efficiently. This isn't a way to like maximize your productivity. That's not the goal of this time. And uh, he said the goal of this time is to help you become a better disciple. And time management can help you in that walk. So I like start like slumping in my seat a little bit because I had like actually already written this talk and I went like control F and like I found the word Jesus like four maybe five times and I was like oh, I don't really even have any scripture passages and the Holy Spirit was not gonna let that happen. <laughs> I, I think that's a little funnier for people who like know me because I'm a very down to business person and that does not mean that I will not be down to business. <laughs> it just means you're gonna have to wait a little bit first. So this talk will be in like two parts. The first of which will focus more on the way that will act as a disciple, and the second will be some practical wisdom that I think was essential in my life from a mentor in learning to be productive and efficient and prioritized. But we're going to start with uh, what it means to have the Holy Spirit activated in the life of a disciple. Cool. So we're going to start with Luke 14, 25 uh, through 28 or so, and then 33. Does anybody remember this passage? I would not expect anyone to remember it, but it was an integral part of Zachary's talk. And I just want to read a little bit of it to you. Now great multitudes accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I remember when I first heard this, uh, I felt like a weight. I was like, whoa, that's a radical call. And that's what Zachary was trying to show us, is that there's a radical call that we've received from Jesus. And that radical call has a goal. And this is something that struck me, I guess it's like two and a half, maybe three years from now. Uh, it was March of my senior year. And I was going through the Our Father, because I used to say a rosary every night before bed. And in the Our Father, it says, 
uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the catechism uh, ends with a seven-part series on the Our Father. So it breaks down the Our Father into seven different parts, and that was one of them. And this is where this idea... Have you guys heard of this uh, website called Church Militant? Okay, so the Church Militant is uh, the, the, the church on earth, and then the church that we'll be participating with in heaven, it's called the Church Triumphant. So we have, like, where we're going, Church Triumphant, and where we are, Church Militant. And I think the way that, like, clearly, like, activated itself in my head was, like, well, where do I want to go? Well, I want the kingdom of heaven. Okay, cool. Like, what do I do with this next 80 years, right? Uh, okay, like, I, I bring the kingdom here on earth. So God wants me part- to participate in the life of the Trinity. And the way he's going to do that is by making the life of the Trinity most present through me on earth. So that's our goal. And that call is, is radical. Um, I think most particularly as I go through like uh, men's group material with guys, the biggest breakthrough in a guy's life is when he realizes that church is more than just like an hour on Sunday and like maybe an hour during the week, but it's a lens. It's a lens through which we look at like every one of our actions. And sometimes that puts us at a crossroad. And that crossroads uh, can be found like in sacred scripture when the man actually like walks away from Jesus because he had many possessions. He wasn't ready to like accept the radical nature of the call. But I'm here tonight to tell you that in some way God's broken through. In some way uh, God has broken through into your life and you want a more integrated uh, life with Jesus. And I think the next part I want to say like why is it worth achieving like why is that goal worth getting at and then to do that I want to go to Matthew 19 verse 29 where it says and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or land see how it's very similar for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life that's awesome right and I, I think uh, this revelation God kind of spoke this to me at the end of my first year of mission. Uh, in my first year of Ohio. Because I wasn't like experiencing that a hundredfold. Uh, I, like eternity to come. That made like complete sense to me, right? It was like, okay, uh, I give up now and then I get rewarded later. But Jesus isn't saying you give up now and you get rewarded later. He's saying you die now and with that death, there's new life throughout the whole part. And that new life is a hundred times better than that old life would be. And I think like what I think about is if we made every decision in accordance with the will of God, he's saying that that's going to make our life a hundred times better. Has anyone like heard of Pascal's wager? So, so uh, Pascal was uh, a mathematician and he was an evangelist in his day. And uh, to his other mathematicians, he wanted to clarify the win. He wanted to say like, hey, even if you don't believe in Jesus, even if the like theology doesn't make sense to you, like statistically it just makes sense because he makes a quadrant. And he says there's four options, and I wish I could be visual for you visual learners, but there's four quadrants. The one is eternal life and God is real. The next is you believe in eternal life and God isn't real. The next is you don't believe in God and there isn't eternal life. And the last is there is eternal life, but you didn't participate in it. Does that make sense? So there's like 
two fundamental choices that end up like offspringing into like four decisions that you can make. And what he was saying is that if God is real and you have infinity, that statistically, like that life to come is eternity. And that's better than the best next option, which would be that God isn't real and you, you, you like took advantage of everything you had, right? Because that gives you plus one. You enjoyed your life, right? Plus one. But if you like die to yourself and experience that new life, that like eternity which God speaks of, then he says you're going to tap into that one now. You're going to like enjoy your life as much as you could now. And in the life to come, you're going to experience the fullness of God. You're going to f- experience what like your purpose is. Like your author is going gonna, is gonna to speak to you. And so I want to talk a little bit about what like the necessary attitude is for getting there. Because that's like very ethereal. I think it like sits up in the sky somewhere. It's like, what do I want? I want heaven. How do I get that heaven on earth? And I just want to talk about three attitudes that I think we can chew on for the next couple of weeks to talk uh, with like our pastoral leaders about, about like the attitude of a disciple. These uh, have all come up in Zachary and Thomas's talk. So um, for the first one, I'm going to bring us to Matthew 25, 14... 25. Here we go. We're moving. For, and this is from Thomas's talk. It's the parable of the talents, where there's one man who gets five talents, there's another man who gets two, and there's another man who gets zero. And I think what God wants to speak to us through this is that everything we do uh, in terms of fidelity to God depends on how we look at him. So if we see him as like a, a master to which he has given us talents to steward, then we're going to be scrappy. We're going to like take ownership of what we have, right? Because like, I mean, the fact is, right, that we're not like coming from those like $500 million like trust fund parents, right? That we're like not like at Harvard Law right now. Like we're not like at Ohio State like quarterback in your football team. Like we're doing the best with what we got, right? So we got to get scrappy. We got to be like gritty about it, right? Because God has like given us something, right? Maybe it's five, maybe it's two, maybe it's one, but it's something significant and he wants us to do something with it. He wants us to get scrappy with it. And, and that's like what the story untold, like unfolds. Uh, like Thomas went through it. He's like the five makes five more and God rewards him for that, right? So your life, you're given five, you respond with five and you get more. Right? And then this is what crazy, right? Um, this is like what John said was the like craziest passage in scripture. For to everyone who will, who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken from him. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing. Right? That's not the Jesus we know. <laughs> like, Jesus, like, helps the one who's, like, uh, has nothing, right? But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, to him who has, more will be given. And I think, does everyone remember that, that, that like, path that Thomas took us on? Where it was, like, if I have, like, a 401k, right, it, like, shoots up at the end. And I think that, like, if we are faithful, we're going to experience that. 
um, a good friend of, of John's who's not related to me, but his name's Dave Hughes. He said that, <laughs> he said that faithfulness is following a purpose to its bitter end, to like the very end. So you're like following your purpose steadily for a long period of time. That's what he would say fidelity is. Um, and that's, that's the parable of the talents, in case you wanted to find that. Next, I want to go to generous. Uh, generous is 2 Corinthians 9, 6. And it says, the point is this. He who sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I think God also wants to say something to the effect that God is not going to screw us over. That like God has our backs. Like day in and day out, he's going to be there for us. So like in my life, the way this manifested was like, I took a risk in coming to Ohio and God blessed that. He wasn't going to screw me over for that. If he like wanted me to like end up in Roman seminary, like he was going to do that. Like he's not going to screw me over in like the risk that I take. And like whatever that reality looks like in your life now, like if you take a risk, God has your back. And like the, the more and more we can live in that truth out of that identity, the more generous we'll become, the more faithful we'll be. And I, I think this last part's really cool too. This last part is, is, is peaceful. And um, to bring that, we're going to bring us to um, 1433, uh, 1 Corinthians 1433, where it says, For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Yes, God bless you. Uh, For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And I think that this is the last thing that I'll say before I get into the the practical wisdom. Um, Order and time management is not a personality trait. And if you think it is, God has freedom for you there. But that's okay. But he wants to renew your mind. Right? That, that order is not a personality trait. Now, if it is your personality trait, this is going to be a hell of a lot easier than if it isn't. But it's not for only people who like, have a mind for these kind of things. It's for everyone. Um, and so my goal with this second part is, to ident- is that like, in the next... Uh, I don't know, like semester or so, we're all able to identify our priorities. We're able to start setting goals and we all be like competent at scheduling a week. Uh, In talking with most guys, I think priorities lie. If you're following on your outline, this is like the five G's, right? This is what I follow. So it goes God, grades, uh, it's girls, but it could be guys too, right? Um, gym, and then uh, gang, like your family, not like, (laughs) but it had to follow, you know, like four G's and enough, it just wouldn't quite have made sense. Uh, (laughs) And then um, I think like uh, John said this, and and this is what I, I think I've like intuitively known for a long time, but what I love working, why I love working on college campuses is because your life is like so dynamic at this point. There's like so many options. If you're like a sophomore, like things are like pretty close to limitless. 
in your brain, right? So John was saying, like, he's a dad now. He's 30 years old. He has two kids. He has a stable job, right? Things are like, yeah, they could swing. Like, God's a God of surprises, but they're not going to swing an awful lot, right? He's, like, on a trajectory, right? But your guy's trajectory is, like, pretty crazy limitless at this point. Like, not limitless, but as limitless as, like, something can get. And then here's the, like, the kicker, and this is why I think I love this so much, is because you're, like, figuring out what it means to win right now. So, like, in these next couple years, you're going to develop thoughts of, like, what it means to be successful in life. You're going to set these goals, whether, like, it's consciously or unconsciously, and that's going to, like, shape the trajectory of your entire life. So if you set, like, as Zachary's word was last time, like, if, or two times ago, if you set, like, a huge vision, right, then your trajectory is going to launch up. But, like, if you invest a lot, right? But if you invest a little, like, it's going to go a little launch. And, and neither is, like, particularly bad, but God has more for us. God wants us to, like, tap into the, the big, right? And so chances are when you're, like, setting goals, the biggest you're going to be able to get is, like, a semester. You're not going to be able to go much past a semester, maybe you'll be able to go like a year, but I, I wouldn't recommend going much past that because like life is like figuring itself out. Like God's fathering us at this point and it's not um, like incredibly clear as to like what our purpose is. So if like life were to be like a college like career, we're like in our first semester, I would say like we're in our second semester now of life, right? And this is when you're like knocking out those core classes, when you're able to like learn how to sacrifice, where you're able to like uh, learn how to like be generous, where fidelity starts to take shape, your character starts to take form. And in that, you like figure out what classes you like and you don't like. And that's like God fathering us to like find our purpose. And so now we're going to get real nitty gritty here. We're going to get into the scheduling. Um, yeah, before I continue, so uh, there's like three stages, right, uh, for our goals. What I desire for us is that we're able to, like stage one, you can write in there, you can write in semester. Stage two, you can write in month. Stage three, you can, you can write in week. I think like a typical college student is not going to be at stage three yet. They're going to be like floating around. That's like day to day. Like, uh, I would say a close to, like, a very, a very good college student is at stage two. They have goals for their month. And what I, ha- I think God has for everyone here right now is stage one, which is that you are setting goals for your semester. When you walk in in August, you have goals for your semester. And those could be applied to any one of the five Gs. That could be, like... With God, that could be in grades, it could be in relationships, it could be in your family, it could be in, like, your, your like, uh, physical, um, like, disposition. And um, I think what this next part's going to do is say that it's possible to do that. Right? It's possible to do that. That's what uh, the breakthrough I experienced my sophomore year of college said. As God said, like, it, it's possible for you to, like, be set somewhere, to be, like, going somewhere. And so the four things that I would say you schedule in any given week would be events, commitments, relationships, and tasks. 
Now you might be saying, like, those seem like pretty similar things to him. Like, what's the difference? Well, events are things that you go to that you don't have to prepare for. So, like, thank you to everyone who's prepared the Halloween party for tomorrow. I'm just showing up. <laughs> That's an event, right? But a commitment would be formation. So, like, in my journal, I have written down two weeks ago, prepare for formation talk. That would be a, a task. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Relationships would be like, I'm, I like have like four spaces, five spaces for lunch during the week. Like where are those relationships that I would like, that I would see God asking me to like pour into, right? Um, and then tasks are, are like all of those preparations for those commitments and like any preparation you need for any given relationship or the odds and ends like go to the store and buy tide or like go to the store and buy airpods um (laughs) but in the end um like tasks could go as big as like get a quote for car insurance right that's where that stuff's gonna fit right and uh i would recommend like in a planner scheduling or like, like leaving space for those four things and at the beginning of your week, running through your events, running through your commitments, putting the commitments that you, excuse me, no, <laughs> uh, putting your, your preparations for your commitments in your tasks and then deciding like which relationships you have uh, space for. And um, yeah, so in my experience, what, what does scheduling look like? in my experience and in the experience of the men I work with. I think um, the first thing is that we walk in with the wrong, wrong attitude. Like I walked in my freshman year and I was like, Tim, what is it you have to do today? Well, I should probably go to class. Then I'll probably go to lunch. What I do after lunch, I'll probably do some homework. And then if I'm lucky, like I had a club to go to that night. And with all that like miserable stuff that I didn't actually like want to go to, I just like filled the time with like my closest dopamine hit. Right? Like you would just like try and figure out like, okay, I'll spend 15 minutes on Instagram there because like in the end I didn't want to be doing the things that I was doing. They were just like things I had to do, like go to class and do my homework and go to this club and eat lunch. Like all those were heavy. And so what I want to suggest is that we we, like schedule like what we actually want to do. And that takes a lot of thought because like on a deeper end of things, right? Like we then have to like know what we want to do. And so you, like, take the time to, like, figure out in those deeper thoughts what it is that we want to do. And, like, the key fits perfectly in the hole when you, like, look at a week and you realize you, like, actually did things you want to do. And, like, of course, that's going to be met with, like, responsibilities. Because at the, like, end of the day, you want to be better than you were at the beginning of the day. Because if you're worse at the end of the day than you were at the beginning of the day, a couple of those happen and suddenly you, like, dug a hole for yourself. And the further you are in the hole, the more it's going to take to get out. And the way you get out is by living the day better than you were yesterday. And to live the day better than you were yesterday, we need responsibility. And so, like, I don't know what responsibility looks in your life right now, but it's probably something close to, like, 40%, which is, like, not all that heavy, right? But obviously, like, the, the worse and worse you get, the more and more responsibility you're going to need to take to get it to go better and better. Right? And that's like the pit people fall in is they end up being 35, 40 years old. They've been making 15 to 20 years of like worse and worse decisions because they don't have any responsibility in their life. And all of a sudden, it seems like an insurmountable pit. 
But right now, you don't have that. There's hope. There's like so much hope right now because even if you're a young man who's had, which none of us are young man or woman here that's like dug a huge pit for yourself, right? That pit's not that big. <laughs> like your pit would be nothing close to the pit that some of these like 40, 50 year old men have, and women have like dug for themselves, right? But you're, one, none of you have that pit at all. Like you're actively climbing. But like even the people that you will have the opportunity to like talk about this stuff with, right? Even if they've like dug a pit, there's so much hope that you can share with them because that pit's chances are like pretty minimally small and like maybe like 50% responsibility for like a short amount of time will fix that. And so I want to go through like, I wish I could whiteboard so bad. What's our responsibility? I wrote sleep, school, work, maybe like have household information, maybe some clubs, right? And I just want to like, Go through the raw data with you. Do you want to ah, that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Ah, oh, that's so good. This is the receipt for household dinner. In case you were curious, and we're at twenty-four minutes, so I have five minutes left. Here we go. So, responsibility. Does anyone know how many hours are in a week? Ah, oh, this is so good. Okay, and how many hours should we sleep a night according to these doctors? Ah, oh, seven to nine. So let's settle at eight, right? So minus fifty-six. Is that, is that going with everyone? Seven days a week, eight hours a night? 56. What does that leave us with? This is with 112. Okay, so in school, this is something you can tell your professors, by the way. For every 18 hours, let's say you're taking 18 credits, that's 18 hours in class, you are not supposed to be given more than two hours of homework per credit. So that means... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you are taking 18 credits, that means you should have 36 hours scheduled in your week. To study, right? So we minus the 36, and then we minus the 18. Right now, we're at 58. And let's say you work for maybe, let's say you're really ambitious. You're working 15 hours a week. That's a ton, right? And then you have household information. That probably takes up 10 hours, let's say. And then you have clubs. That takes up another 10, right? That gives you 23 hours. That's a full freaking day of free time to do the things you want to do because that's what, like, really gives you life, but hopefully a couple of these things give you life beyond like nothing, right? <laughs> but my question to you is, raise your hand if you experience eight hours of sleep every single night. <laughs> raise your hand if you study for 36 hours during the week. <laughs> raise your hand if you feel like you're engaged for all 18 hours of your classes, Michael. <laughs> you're hilarious. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and then chances are in like household formation clubs, we're actually like probably pretty engaged because we've made like a conscious decision to be there. But maybe it, life changes. So what, I, I'm, I, what I'm saying is that the things that aren't on that list are the things that you want to do. So like maybe that looks like reading. Maybe that looks like grabbing lunch with people. Maybe that looks like trying to think of like something besides for like the very relational things that I do. Like it might look like knitting, it might look like playing basketball, it might look like going to the gym, it might look like any one of those things, right? And I'm here to say uh, that God has like these wins for you in your life. That like God actually has this time that he wants to bless you with and to like bring us back to this passage for God is not a God of confusion but a God of peace. So imagine this, that you have set goals for your semester 
And because of that, you've taken time to reflect and you have goals for your month, which allows you to schedule a week that actually meets the goals that you want. And you take the responsibility to like sleep when you need to sleep and do the schoolwork that you need to get done. And suddenly like things start clicking. What I'm saying is like, this is tapping in to the hundred times more that God's speaking about in Matthew 19. Like what he wants for us is that a hundred times. And the way we tap into that is by starting to like collect some order in our life. Cause then we're working with time that we literally didn't think we had. And, um, what I want to like leave us with for small groups is that beyond this, uh, there's areas where you won't experience freedom, right? Um, real quick anecdote, last anecdote, I promise. If you're studying for more than like an hour and a half at one time, that is like massively unproductive. Chances are, mm-hmm. uh, you cannot focus for more than an hour and a half at one time and like expect to retain the data that you're studying. Right. So when you're like building your schedule, try and taper a little bit. Right. <laughs> so like maybe like uh, if you're like f- study, like especially in the morning, like nine to ten thirty, then take like a 15 minute break with like what you en- something like a real reward that you like enjoy doing or something that you really enjoy having. And then study for like another hour and a half and then go to lunch and then go to class and then take another significant break because like you rewarded yourself like you're, you like accomplished something. Um, Anyway, that's like the last thing. But um, I like, I'm so passionate about this and I'd love to talk with any of you more and like break this down to show you how possible this is in your week. But all that to say, there is like real spiritual warfare that like Sarah was talking to us about a couple of weeks back um, that like can be done in this area to win freedom. So if like you don't think it's possible, if you think that this is like literally impossible to have this kind of space in your life, like that's something you can pray into and God will like renew your mind over the course of time with like committing to making like responsible decisions. But like God will break through. And that's my conclusion is that God has conquered. Freedom uh, is like inevitably ours if we just step into this. So I hope that didn't sound like a missionary patronizing students. And I hope I didn't tell you not to study. I hope that this time ended up teaching us just like a little bit or like piquing our curiosity about like how the life of a disciple can be tapped in to like the hundred times more and eternity to come. So thank you guys.